Hey friends, bear with us today <laughs> through this episode. We are working with some new technology and it did not all go exactly as planned. Hello and welcome to episode 83 of Craft Cook Read Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, February 3rd, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? It's going great. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. I have, I have weirdness in all of my segments. I don't. So oh, cool. You get to all home. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so this is going to be um, our last, well, not our last episode, our last sort of regular episode where we will just have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand for a few weeks. We're planning to do a cookbook review next time, and then after that, we will be at Stitches West. Have big plans. Your eyes are so sparkly and bright at the thought <laughs> of not only doing something, but darn something oh it's crazy we've got classes and the marketplace and some other plans and maybe yeah fantastic i'm Thanks. excited uh, all right so on the needles so thank you all for listening to my whining last time <laughs> it was very helpful it was a little sad about how my knitting was going and just got that into it currently talking was very helpful done so much knitting not going to seem like it. It's been very monogamous, so I don't have a ton of projects to talk about, but great things have happened with those projects, so I think. I'll go through ebbs and flows. Yeah. Going with quantity, not quality. No, other way around. (laughs) Quality, not quantity today. So I finished the Riley Rose Hat by Jennifer Lassonde. That was the one I had cast on just to get a quick win. The yarn your girl yarns and i got that in ketchikan alaska 2019 on a family vacation and it was a mini skein set called sockeye spawning so it has dark burgundy and a magenta and a light pink and then a light gray and a mustard yellow beautiful and lovely and i had picked it out specifically to make this hat i think i had tried to make the hat spring of 2019 and i forget what my problem was with it but the yarn I had picked up was just not working at all. I think it calls for fingering weight and I was trying to make like a DK weight or something work and it just, there were issues. So I put it aside and then I saw this yarn. I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to use to make that hat. It's perfect. And then as you may have noticed, it is now 2022. <laughs> I had not yet made the hat. January and I was feeling a little, little sad about my knitting and I decided to do it. This was good. This was the time. Casting on took a while. I had two mobiuses and then finally got it to work and it had 28 rounds of i think one by one rib which is knit pearl not my favorite thing to do so that was where we we left it and it came back after recording i was like you know what once i get done with this ribbing it's going to be great i'm going to have a project it's fine like it's meditative i just you know so i found a tv show or an audiobook or something and just cranked that out I got to the fun part, which was all the, there's five different sections of patterning. First one, oh, it was a little strange. You do, um, it's like a broken, or no, it's not a broken rib. You're, you slip two, knit two, and, and then switch it later, and you keep switching it around. And I did not read the stitch instructions, so front of you, and I was back, so all of the patterning was on the inside of the hat, which is 
most attractive look. I mean, it was fine. It just wasn't very interesting. And I didn't realize it until I section. So, oh yeah. So it was completely my fault. It happens when you don't read instructions. But you know what? It's a hat. It's not that big a deal. I just ripped it out and started over. And, you know, an hour later, I was back where I had been. So it was not a big what? deal. It's like 12 yeah. rows of not a big deal. I might be exaggerating. It might have been a little bit longer, but it was not that long. And then there's a striping section, and then there's a lace section. And I think you go into the decreases. Um, so anyway, it was super fun. Chance to wear it. I haven't been going out much except to school soccer games. So I have to wear my official... I don't have to, but I have been wearing my official team colors hat that I made for that. So uh, I haven't had a chance to wear it yet, but I'm looking forward to that. And I'm super excited to have that project done and with yarn that, you know, every time I look at it, I think of our fun family trip. And so that was, that was a fun project. And I'm glad I persevered and got through it. And I felt, yeah, and then, you know, I, I have a finished object. So that's a win. Other thing I was feeling really cranky about was my newspaper pullover by Hohi Locatelli. I've been working on since, oh no, September now, but getting stuck on it. But again, kind of the same thing. I was like, all right, I want this sweater. I just, I need to knit it. And I was feeling a, a little bit worried about the fit. I think I did a gauge swatch, but measuring brioche is just something I wasn't quite sure how to do. So I sort of looked at it and was like, okay, sure. <laughs> it looks good. And just started knitting. And so the sleeves were feeling kind of puffy. But then I tried it on and it looked really cute. So I have half of a cuff and a neckline left. So, so I am super close now and I'm super excited. And then, yeah. And so then I'll decide I, I still need to finish Simon's sweater. He needs to try it on and I haven't, I've got the, it on the two needles. The newspaper one or the rickrack one? The rickrack one for Simon. It's not rickrack people. Yeah. It's um, Hide and Peak by Maxim Sear. Courtney likes to call it the rickrack. They should consult me on like pattern names. They should. Yarn colors. <laughs> all the things and yet they don't that one is on two needles so he can try it on i just have not made him that yet that'll be a project but i have some other ideas hunter hammerson just came out with a new hat and i ordered special yarn for that so that is my be another quick win and then i've been working on a pair of socks that i cast on i don't even it's not even <laughs> i didn't bother putting it in my ravelry page which is unusual for me librarian in a former life so i tend to be fairly good about entering data i did pull out some yarn that's it for the knitting but how was the brioche i haven't practiced it oh, yet you just i just got the yarn out i'm prepared <laughs> that's half the battle i have knitted brioche before but i could use a refresher my first project was pot holder or oven mitt whatever and then my next project was an intarsia felt bag so, like, I don't like to... <laughs> You're not messing around. That's why shawls are good, because basically going to fit, fit, yeah. And hats, too. <laughs> oh, you can make a hat too big or too small. Mostly too big, I think, yeah. is a... Then you just find another head. It's not a huge time uh, commitment. Yeah. What is on the easel? The easel has been lots of landscape studies in my sketchbooks, and I am doing... I'm you know, I'm pretending I'm taking a landscape class. So I'm taking careful sketches and notes. I'm thinking about texture and color and light and brushes and brush marks. And I've only painted three, I think three big landscapes. We last 
spoke. And I hope get another one underway today. It's really interesting to me to go bigger because it doesn't take much to trick your brain that that's a landscape. And I think the accessibility of landscapes is kind of bringing me a lot of joy right now. You know, have your land <laughs> and then you have a little scape. bit of sky, your scape and whatever your focal point. And I think that that is like part of being human, how quickly we recognize our home planet, basically. I love how quickly it comes together compared to painting something, some kind of object that doesn't look the way it's supposed to look until you're 80% into it. This feels converse where think you're just getting started and it's recognizably a landscape. I kind of love that right now, the simplicity of that. So a lot of fun. I, I think next time I'll share a couple of the resources that I'm using to help further my education, but I don't really have them ready today. There's one that I'm on the fence about. The other thing that I'm doing is for beginning of each month, I'm talking about the calendar that I released in December. And I'm calling them calendar stories. And I'm talking a little bit about why I chose the images, or maybe if I had changed things up, just the backstory behind each main image, and then identifying the usually birds on the calendar grid. And I think it's really fun to... I agree. I think it's fun to do that throughout the year. It feels like bonus content for the calendar people who supported and encouraged the whole process. And it keeps me, it keeps me thinking about my work. Like, what was it about? I can't wait for March. March is the platypus and it has several different iterations. And so I'm excited to talk about that because I even have one of the other paintings that I did of the platypus in like a punch bowl. (laughs) Not that the dancing lemur doesn't need his, you know, he gets his own story. Yeah. And it has me thinking about what I'm going to do next year already. If I want a calendar or go back to the chapbook projects like I had done in years past or something totally different. It's a great way to extend the life of that project. Totally what's been going on. Mostly landscapes. Cool. So and something I was thinking of, you did a landscape for brother for Christmas. Was that part of the inspiration behind this or? Thanks for asking about that. That's a, that's so thoughtful of you. My dad really liked the landscapes. He, he, I don't think he understood why I was painting bound things and acorns and, but my dad really loved the woods and trees. And I think that's partly why I'm gravitating toward the landscapes right now. And yeah, it's a hand in hand with that. My brother and I, and my sister too, we all really appreciate that. A good reason. Yeah, that works. Cool. On the table. Interesting thing. Some of it I can't talk about because that'll be for our review next time. Oh, we should tell people what we're reviewing though. Cooking at Home by David Chang and Priya Krishna. He is the Momofuku dude. (laughs) (laughs) So it is a very interesting book. More about that next time. This is a non, I mean, it's a cookbook, but it's not like, here's 13 recipes for chicken and 
This is a little bit more freestyle, go your own way. I have a very difficult time with that. You're probably better. I have a little bit easier time with it, but I'm kind of anti-microwave, so I'm really interested. Do you have one? I do. I was thinking about that. I microwaved some oatmeal the other morning, but I'll tell you about that in a minute. Okay. So. So for me, I made another recipe inspired by Yarn Harlot Veganuary recipe. And I tried to find a link for the Buddha's Jewels post that she had done, and I couldn't find it. I wanted to put it in the show notes last time because she talks a lot about her, you know, what she's making and she's a really good writer and it's really lovely. So I thought you all might want to see that, but I can't find it and I can't think who else it would have been that posted it if it wasn't her. So that was strange. So the first recipe I made was for a vegetarian cassoulet. The one she uses is from Connoisseurs Veg. Anyway, it's like dinosaur, but T-Rex kind of thing. Yeah, but it but. That recipe is a smoky portobello mushroom vegan cassoulet. I sort of used that, but then I found another recipe in my America's Test Kitchen Slow Cooker Revolution book and kind of comboed the two because it's basically beans. And then you can add other stuff to it. Vegan one, she roasts uh, baby Bella mushrooms and adds liquid smoke to it. So you get that smoky flavor. I did that. Cooking it, I just cooked the white beans. I had cassoulet, actual cassoulet beans from Rancho Gordo. Of course you did. They were delicious. I had bought a pre-roasted chicken from my grocery store because theirs is pretty good and just cut off some of the pieces to add to the boys' meal. Actual meatiness going on. I had not got my slow cooker in a while. I've been with the Fast and Furious recipes and it was nice. I think we had where we had a soccer game and then we were going out to the theater or something and so there was a really tight turnaround time and like oh if I have it all just bubbling away when we get home we're good to go so that was super fun and I did it again this week same situation um so this one I did a black bean soup again from the cook's illustrated slow cooker revolution cookbook I did not add the ham hock but I did have some like a ham steak that I used to add meaty flavor for the children. So it was a really good black bean soup and most importantly, did not require pre-soaking the beans. So you would have liked that, Courtney. Uh, yeah. I'll do it. I'll pre-soak them. Have to think well, about it. Well, this one you it. don't have to. Oh. That's the point. I see. You just throw it in there in the morning and Nine hours on low. So the Buddha jewel is a the... veganized moose. We talked about this. I think the moose wood probably is vegan. That was with the tofu and the mushroom, water chestnuts and the peppers and sweet and sour sauce, which was killer. Lots of different versions out there. That was my, my slow cooker back in the rotation. And then I made the Areas from oh, Simply Julia. Speaking of T-Rex... That's uh, for the carnivores. And the gluten eaters. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, yeah. So my, my kid that was going gluten-free is now like half and half. Anaphylactic or sensitive. Correct. Okay. Generally feels better, but it doesn't like in a medical does. way. Yeah. Like- he made the exception for this. <laughs> they were both excited. So this is like a spiced ground beef patty, and you stuff it in pita bread and then grill it. Serve it with a tzatziki sauce. So I have made it with half turkey 
and half ground lamb. And I really like this recipe because you don't have to chop a onion or smash garlic and the spices are really flavorful and I just love that allspice flavoring. It's a super easy Tuesday night dinner for us. Oh yeah. It was enough since it was just three of us and I wasn't really eating a full serving because that's a lot of... I was easily enough, double I think, it. <laughs> yeah. My kids were okay. Like it, it worked out to be enough and I had lots of sides. Although I think we did have like half leftover, which I finished off as I was cleaning the kitchen. That's perfect. I'm sure if I made more, they would be equally excited. But yeah, those were my, my hits for the week. Excellent. I have weird little, I thought you had the, the cornerstone on weird this week, but no, you do not. So I'm trying. Yeah, I was pretty solid. Just Yeah. I'm trying to eat more oats. I think January was like 31 days of oats. I saw that somewhere on the internet. Oatuary. I, I missed it. <laughs> so now I'm doing 28 days of oats and I made for myself, just me, because nobody else wants this. I made the Morning Glory Oats from Whole Grain Mornings, which is a Megan Gordon cookbook I've talked about before. This is like a breakfasty themed cookbook that I adore. The Morning Glory Oats have shredded carrot, cinnamon, and maybe a little bit of brown sugar. Really simple. And so I made myself a big batch and then microwaved it for mornings in a row. Nice. The follow-up breakfasts. I added a little bit of hot water and it worked out great. My hesitation with microwaving grains and starches is that I remember some reading that it does something to glycemic index of those foods. So when you, you know, if a, I don't know the glycemic index of oats, but if you cook it stovetop, it's X amount. And when you put it in the microwave, it's more than that because it does something to it. And I should Interesting. probably look into the science of that a little bit. However, it worked and they were delicious and I'm eating more oatmeal. So well done. Yeah. I also made this great citrus and herb tonic, non-alcoholic. Mm. This was a recipe that my friend Kelly sent me. It was in the New York Times and you on a stovetop Simmer together citrus slices and turmeric and lemongrass, sliced ginger. It's totally unsweetened. And then you can serve it hot with a little bit of honey or uh, maple syrup if that's more your thing. It's a really wonderful alternative to like nighttime herbal tea or a cocktail. Definitely a hot drink or is it, could it be a cold? It could be cold. You could serve it over ice. Oh, I also had uh, oregano or it calls for oregano, but I only had time. Really wonderful. And it's bright yellow on account of the turmeric. So it just feels healthy. And it it just, it was a great, I have a little bit left, but I think I'm going to make another batch. And then last weekend was crab feed at our high school, which is a gigantic fundraiser. And unfortunately, it was in-person canceled. However, still went and picked up our crab dinners and brought them home and made the mess at home. Yeah, Yeah, sort of. (laughs) So what we decided to do was have a couple close friends over. We tested and everybody was fine with it. And it 
felt way less risky and a lot more joyful than the two of us sitting across from each other cracking crap. <laughs> and so for that, I made some stuffed mushrooms just to have while we were waiting for everyone to land. Why are mu stuffed mushrooms so tasty? I don't know, but they are delicious. Well, I had sausage in mind. That's partly there. That helps. Yeah, totally. Sausage, Parmesan, Panko. Oh yeah, cheese never is never improves right. anything. And I think I even put in a little cream cheese to help hold it all together, so you could you know cream. That it was in there. good of you. You don't want it to be too messy while they're eating it. Well, you know, mushrooms need a little bit of fat because <laughs> the sausage. <laughs> That did nothing for them. Right. So stuffed mushrooms, crowd pleaser. They were excellent. And I now I want to make them again this weekend. And then a couple nights later with the leftover crab, I made crab cakes. Now, this is, this is a call for help and guidance because every single time that I make crab cakes in life, they fall apart. They just, what am I doing wrong with the crab cakes? They don't look like cakes. They look like mess. So in my family, we have solved this problem by having crab on French bread, crab, mayonnaise, cheese, and half loaf, and then slice it up. I'm sure there's other stuff in there. I haven't, we're more lobster people in my household. So I have to like go to my parents and they have to make it. And that, um, I love that idea there problem solved. Yeah. And I don't want to add a ton to the crab because crab is such a mild flavor anyway much like lobster. So I didn't want to add, you know, eggs and breadcrumbs and tons of filler. I wanted it to be crabby. I love the bread boat idea. Yeah, that's delicious. <laughs> and then lastly, so last week I told everybody pasta. about pasta impo Mission Impossible. Really happy to report. <laughs> you are glowing. That my Sfolini order came for pounds of cascatelli we have one pound left because this pasta is awesome wow. it is so good okay i made my like go-to household bolognese that my grandfather taught me how to make a million years ago it has a little bit of i mean he taught me to make it with ground beef or you know cooked down beef I nowadays use ground turkey, but he'll forgive me for that, and slow cook this thing for, you know, a long time. Sometimes carrots, sometimes not. Definitely lots of onions and garlic and tomatoes and my pasta sauce. Chunky and great. Super filling. So the first night we made, we made a pound of the cascatelli which is shaped like little, he calls them waterfalls. That's the Pascatella, I guess. And they, but they kind of resemble like a shrimp shape. Well, the shape of it is so different from, I've eaten a lot of pasta in my life and it really feels different than eating other pasta shapes. Because of the structure of it, it is meatier. It's like that tooth sinkability that he's talking about in the podcast. And it all gets cooked? You don't have like one it, chunky spot? And no, nice. it does take a long time to cook. It take, it, he, There's a window of 13 to 17 minutes on the box. Oh, that's a while. I tasted it at 13 and it, it was still way too undercooked along the spine of it or the two ridges. 
And so I put it back in and I landed on like 16, 16 and a half minutes for great, even cooked texture. It totally holds all of the sauce. It wasn't like, you know, at the end of the spaghetti when there's still a little bit of sauce on the plate. It just, it just, I was going to say when there's still a lot of sauce on the plate often. It just captures all of the sauce in its arms and oh, it's so good. It was, I, I was just beside myself with delight. And so we had, uh, we ate that first easily polished off the first pound. And then later on in the weekend, the day after the crab feed, we did it again, rest of the meat sauce. And then the boys had of pasta the other night so i probably have like a pound in it i have to make another order it's so excellent it's so much fun cool can you uh throw a box in there for me i will totally throw Thank a box you. in there for you so do you think it would be equally good with like a yes. alfredo sauce where there's no yes. chunky business okay i want to make but how do you really feel i want to make a, a really wonderful primavera with it because the pasta has so much eft it is more filling to me. Like I didn't need as much of it as like penne. You just feel like you could eat all day. Well, I do. Yeah. Cause we usually, I mean, part of it is that I'm cooking a gluten-free box, box but we usually get through most of both of those boxes and right. I usually just do either penne or. Yeah. My go-to the past couple months has been that Fusilli Corti Bucati, Bucatini. I forget. It's a corkscrew bucatini, which is usually long and thin because my father-in-law can... And it has a hole in the, like through the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My father-in-law can easily fork that for himself. You know, he has fine motor issues. I think that this cascatelle is wonderful. So I can't wait to try it with vodka sauce, Alfredo sauce, a primavera, a pesto would be awesome. Oh, yeah. You know, anything... We're omnivores, so the sky's the limit, really. And did you tell me that they're coming out with a gluten-free one? So I listened to episode seven, which is the most up-to-date of the Mission Impossible. And I do want people to listen to this whole series because I think that the story behind the pasta is pretty magical, clearly, because I'm like crazy lady. You're glowing. Yes. I also think that the Sfolini is really excellent quality durum wheat. So if you are normal, like I'm normally an organic pasta person, this is not organic, but I had no problems with it. And I have eaten a lot of pasta over the past week. I thought it was really good quality. Have you tried any of their other ones? I haven't, but I'm thrilled to have a new brand of pasta to explore. So what, what, uh, Dan Pashman is headed towards is a gluten-free outfitter, and I don't know who that is yet. And then he's also working on getting it into Trader Joe's. Oh. And Trader Joe's is going to produce it. Their pasta is produced or manufactured in Italy. So that means it will still be bronze cut, which means it will still hold all of that great texture. And so he's licensed the shape to them and they'll do it through there. So if you like Trader Joe's pasta, keep an eye out for that because, I mean, the price point will be awesome. We'll see. Yeah. I, so that it would just be for the gluten free or for no, the, oh, for that's, all of it. Okay. That's for the, he's licensed the shape to Trader Joe's. So they'll, they will do it with their pasta. I don't know who is doing the gluten free version yet, but as soon as I find out, and I still wholeheartedly recommend 
Sfolini version. That's online right now. Cool. I look forward to trying it. So on the nightstand, guess how many books I have this time? I don't know. Eleven. Three. Oh, my gosh. I know. Well, one of them was a really huge book. So we'll hear about that in a minute. But I wanted to talk about my first book, which was When the Tiger Came Down the Mountain by Nevo. This was about 124 pages, less than 200, definitely. It is the second in a series. I read the first one last episode or the one before pretty recently. And it's a series, but it's definitely, uh, I think they call it a circular series. So you can really pop in at any point, any of the books, and it really won't matter. So anyway, so this one, again, focuses on the cleric. They are still traveling the country, looking for myths and legends and histories and collecting them for their monastery. This one, they're just uh, traveling to another location and one of the cavalry guards offers to accompany them. And on the way, they are attacked by three tigers. They are able to find shelter in a barn for the night and hope that rescue will come. Someone will notice they're missing and come rescue them from the tigers. In the meantime, the cleric offers to tell a story to hopefully get them to agree not to eat them. So the story that they tell is about when a scholar marries a tiger. And there's a human version of this story and there's a tiger version of this story. So when the cleric starts telling their story, the tigers keep interrupting with the correct version in their viewpoint. This is starting to sound like Shahrazad meets Life of Pi. That is exactly right. That is, yes, very true. So it keeps going. It is a wonderful example of storytelling, which I think is different from reading a book or, or writing a book. Like if you go to hear an actual live storyteller, there's a different cadence and uh, the author really captures that in this book. So I really enjoyed these books. They're beautiful writing and so many good things and um, really fast as well if you just need to hop in and out of a world and get a quick little bit of enjoyment. So that was When the Tiger Came Down the Mountain by Nevo. And then the next one, Go Tell the Bees I Have Gone by Diana Gabaldon. This is book nine in the Outlander series. I think if you've been paying attention, it will surprise no one that I am an Outlander fan. I have been reading them since they first came out <coughs> years ago. Uh, apparently the first one came out in 1991, which was 30 years ago, which is... You going to edit that part for vanity? <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like... I feel like people need to know these things. 1991 was apparently not yesterday. It was like 10 years ago. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I mean, 2000 is still in the future as far as I'm concerned. So anyway, Outlander, if you do not know, is the story of Claire Randall. She was a nurse in World War II and the war has just ended. So she and her husband, Frank, have gone up to Scotland uh, for a little second honeymoon to get to re-know each other after the war has ended and they've been apart for several years. Uh, while she is there, she goes to a stone circle and is sucked through time accidentally to 1743, where all sorts of shenanigans happen and she meets one Jamie Frazier, who is the, ah, uh, he is everything. <laughs> he is kind of the platonic ideal of the Scottish warrior Plus, 
he talks about his emotions and he's kind to small children and animals and he looks good in a kilt and he's just amazing. (laughs) He is a total package. So they, you know. the fact that he lives in 17, yeah. What year? 43. Yeah. Yeah. That is problematic. Uh, I feel like it's not a spoiler since A, the books have been out. For a decade. (laughs) For a few years. And we are now on book nine to say that um, it all works out for them. I mean, more or less. And in this book, we are now up to the uh, American Revolution and Claire and Jamie are living in North Carolina and uh, all sorts of things happen. I've only read the first book and I think it's important to point out that these are not circular novels, like you do need to read them in order. And it's true that characters in the present day, like have, wait, how do you say this? There's character overlap, not just amongst the two main characters, but like, it's important to read it from the beginning. (laughs) Yes, that is true. (laughs) Yeah, this is not a book that you're gonna read if you haven't read the other eight. And yeah, this was, it's a big book. It was 888 pages. Yeah, lots of characters that are, you know, things happen to them in in the second book, the third book. You really, you kind of need to know what's going on. And she does put in background information, so I suppose you could hop in, but you just wouldn't, I don't think you would get the depth of what's going on. Um, So there is that. You should also be aware that these are not a light and fluffy romance. There is a lot of violence and very accurate 18th century living information. There's a lot of stuff, especially in the first three books, that uh, probably wouldn't fly today. So just you might want to be aware of that if you do decide to start the series. As far as someone who knows the book, she really has reached the point where people, I think, are not telling her that she needs to edit her books anymore. (laughs) She is a beautiful writer. There are some amazing scenes in here. Lots of fantastic conversations between parents and kids and husbands and wives and just really beautiful writing. But nearly 900 pages is a big book. It is a big book. And it kind of feels at times as though she had a great idea for a scene and she just threw it in there and it didn't necessarily advance the plot at all. It was still really interesting, and it's like she found this great fact about life in 1780s America and wanted to include it. So not my most favorite of the books, but... But you were saying before you appreciate that she's still writing them. That's true, yeah. So she is... I mean, this is her ninth book, and it took her... I think the last one came out in 2014. So it took her seven years to write it. It's, you know, there are a lot of pages, Um, but she is still writing them, right? So that is a bonus. There is apparently one more. The 10th book is going to actually be the final one. I mean, she said that before, but 10 feels like a good number. And it will have been many, many years that she's been working on this. But she is at least, you know, writing the books, unlike some other authors we could name. So, But we won't. But we won't. George. (laughs) looking at you George yeah so you know so it was it was good I kept you know I made it all the way through I didn't really want to I didn't want to stop reading there were just points where I thought did we really need this probably not uh go tell the bees I am gone by Diana Gabaldon and then my last one was an audiobook a new mystery series so I was pretty (gasps) excited yay except that there's only three books out at this point so that's kind of a bummer but so it's a quick little investment. This is The Ruin by Dervla McTiernan. Um, so you get a lovely Irish accent reading to you. Cormac Riley is 
a police officer in Ireland. He's been in Dublin for most of his career, like 20 years or something. And his girlfriend just got a great job in Galway. So they have moved there. He's transferred because of politics within the department. He is just getting cold cases, which is kind of annoying. But he figured, you know, that's how it goes. So he's been working the cold cases. And then a young boy in his 20s, Uh, commits suicide. And it seems a pretty open and shut case. But then his sister shows up from Australia, where she's been living, and starts asking questions. And suddenly, Cormac is put on the already closed case of the boy's mother who died of an overdose when he was five. And so clearly something odd is going on with this uh, whole mystery. I really enjoyed this. It was lots of twists and turns. Some, you know... Is this modern day? Yes, uh, like 2014. Mm. You know, so it's got good character development. There's, you know, some things that are going on outside of the actual mystery, but not not a ton. Uh, you know, just a nice little extra bit of information. Yeah, so I, I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to reading the next one. Excellent. Quickie list for you this week. I know. It helps that you read the 888-page brick. Yeah, that took a lot of time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, How about you? I have two. I read The Swan Thieves by Elizabeth Kostova. She wrote The Historian. Yeah. I don't know that I've read The Historian. I looked back. If I did, it was a while ago. This was a delight of a book. It opens with... A modern day psychiatrist gets a call that he needs to take on a patient who attempted to stab a painting at the National Gallery. Actually, not sure which National Gallery. I think, and in Washington, D.C., but anyway. The psychiatrist is a bit of a painter himself, and that's why he's been offered up as the right person to help. And so... It's this big mystery why this painter attacked this particular painting, which was called Leda and the Swan, and it's based on a real painting by Gilbert Thomas. Act and there is a real painting. And so it unfolds and tells from like various points of view the history of this painter, his wife, and the psychologist is sort of interviewing people in life because the painter will not talk. He's at the, at the chin, have him under observation. And it's just, he's trying to figure out what the catalyst was and, and unravel this mystery. And in the meantime, there's this packet of letters that he's had translated and he's, he being the psychiatrist, he's taken the, the painter had given him to him And so he's looking for connections and it unfurls this whole other narrative. I loved this book because it's about artists. And I, I often, I often put my foot down on that trope that all artists have to be totally psychotic, crazy, unhinged, can't meet a deadline in order to be brilliant, I think that there's a lot of different types of artists and there's room for all of us. And so generally I steer clear of this artist as lunatic trope or maniac or whatever. What grounds the narrative of this book is that there's another woman in the the artist's life and she is very dedicated to her art and she really works at it. And her character 
along with the mystery of it, is really what guided me through the whole book. I thought this was really well done. It's probably 10 years old, I think. I was just excited to get lost in this mystery. One of the genius things that Elizabeth Kostova does is she is talking about a certain historical painter who I thought I should know that person, but I didn't. And it was just a fictionalized, the way that she was talking about it just made it seem like it was, this woman was part of the Impressionist era painters and she knew, you know, she was running around with all these guys and going to salons and stuff like that. But the real crux of it was that it was hard for a woman to break onto this scene at all. And so that is addressed. And I just felt like it was really well done. It was a very satisfying read, pretty chunky book. And then I read Bill Life by Sarah Winman, which is another sort of, I mean, not as hands-on art book as The Swan Thieves, but definitely art-leaning Art appreciating. Art adjacent. Art adjacent. Yeah. I mean, so good. You've read this, right? I have not. I gave it to my mother for Christmas and she is currently reading it, I believe. So, well, I won't. I heard good things. I won't give any spoilers or I will attempt to not give spoilers. This takes place, it starts during World War II. It takes place predominantly in Italy and in London. Um, and it goes through. I think the 70s or 80s, early 80s. And to, to paint it with broad strokes, it is really about chosen family and how build your community and the people who show up are often the people you choose. And it is a, it's a motley crew of characters. And initially, I didn't think it had too, too much momentum. And then something happened and the book was galloping along. It was like a giant braid, you know, and I just felt like we were following the different storylines and, and what was happening to whom and the romances. And the two key of it for me was there are these male figures in the book who act as father figures and who really parent beautifully. And I think that that is so underdone. You know, our, our guys are great parents. And so it's it's just lacking. And I thought that it was fun to read about men who can parent, especially parent daughters. And so I loved that. There's also a spicy young romance that happens that was initially, I thought there's some class issues between the pair and I felt like ooh this is not going to be addressed and and she d like did address it so beautifully and I thought that that was really satisfying it was like she was reading my trajectory on that I'm not even telling you what it's about but in a nutshell Florence is a character in the city of Florence and the how it draws people You do like that. I love Florence. I have been twice. And my first time was really, really brief. And my second time was like sweltering hot. So I think I've got a third Florence visit in me, maybe in winter. And hopefully nobody breaks any bones. So it will be a nice extended uh, Florentine visit. But I think that the draw to Florence and the draw to this these people who build their lives around this pension in Florence, and I... 
I want people to pick this up and and find their way through it on their own, and I don't want to give anything away because it's so unread. It's a it sounds like it, and you. It sounds like there's a lot of interesting things happening, and too much, to, large chunks of time, yeah. and, and all those good food. things. The food conversations are great, and it's funny. It has funny moments, and it has sad moments. It's it's kind of the total package in terms of a great winter book, great novel. Add it to my list, <laughs> my never-ending list. All right. Well, I think that is it. For- oh, until next time. Make sure to do something you love. Hey. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.